The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hi, hello, everybody. Welcome to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Harkins hanging out on this beautiful, beautiful day in Southern California. And I have a director of a feature-length film on the episode this day, this day being Wednesday. Hopefully you're downloading on Wednesday because uh, you need to go to the Regent Theater in downtown Los Angeles on Wednesday, the 20th, because uh, The Icarus Line Must Die is a film that I've watched. You, If you have any sort of affiliation with independent music, you will enjoy it. And especially if you know the band, the Icarus Line. And even if you don't, you will like this film. So go to the Region Theater tonight and you will be able to see the premiere of this thing. But uh, hold, let, let's put this in context, right? I'm just like throwing dates out at you and stuff like that. But So Michael Grodner, he is uh, the director of this film, The Icarus Line Must Die. And I actually worked with him uh, a long time ago on a music video for the band Planes Mistaken for Stars when I was working at Century Media. And uh, I just thought he was a awesome guy, just super professional. We were able to get this video done uh, very efficiently and cheaply, and it was awesome. Like It was just a very thematic video. <clears throat> they had a lot of great stuff going on uh, in the video, just stuff that I was like, oh, wow, Like this is a great treatment. And uh, yeah, so when this came across my desk, I was like, I would love to have Michael on. So ho- hold on. Let's get some other things that are top of mind into your mind so you do this. And that thing that you need to do is buy band merch, right? I love, I still love buying merch from bands. I have so, so many shirts and uh, I, I, I love that because, uh, I mean, fortunately, I get to uh, work in a position where I can wear a different band shirt every day and that is my work uniform <laughs> and uh, Rockabilia. 
that is what I'm trying to tell you. Rockabilia is the place to purchase merch from every band you could possibly imagine. They have half a million items, everything from long sleeves to sweatshirts to hats. You name it, they got it. And I will give you 15% off by using the code PCJabberJaw. PCJabberJaw will get you 15% off. And they have so much merch. It's officially licensed. That was words being in my mouth. It's officially licensed. And uh, that means the band gets paid. And you have nothing to worry about as far as the quality is concerned. It's awesome. I love what they do. And you need to support them. PCJabberJaw, 15% off. Thank you, Rockabilia. We love that. Rockabilia.com, obviously. I mean, if you don't know that, you can probably just Google Rockabilia and you'll be able to find it. But um, So like I said, The Icarus Line Must Die is a feature-length film and it is based around the band, The Icarus Line. Uh, there is elements of truth to it, but it's you know essentially a, uh, you know, a film based around fiction with uh, actual people who are the you know band members <laughs> so joe the vocalist of the icarus line is uh you know the the starring role as it were but like i said it's playing at the region theater tonight and uh it's also has a couple week stint at the royal theater in west los angeles and then on july 10th it is hitting video on demand and i really really recommend it because it's this uh interesting mixture of you know like punk filmmaking um but then it also has a lot of uh, sort of Jim Jarmusch just really spending time with the characters. And you don't really feel like you're in a movie per se. You're just basically existing in this universe and hanging out. And I, I found it to be really compelling because, uh, it, I, like I said, if you've ever known of the band or you've ever spent time in Los Angeles, so much of this film will be right up your alley. And even if you haven't, you will still find so much to enjoy about this. So. Anyways, and then I, I just thought Michael was a very interesting person living in, you know, in the Hollywood industry, but then also having a large affinity for independent music. And uh, I've never had a person that is a director from you know, making music videos. So a lot of stuff came together about this. Anyways, enough of me. And here, here, here is Michael and my conversation. Okay, I'll talk to you after the episode is over. to you which was obviously our work together with planes mistaken for stars um and you know you doing the music video for them and uh, you know a lot of my job then was obviously to kind of figure out people to you know work with because it it was a weird time when the music industry was changing where you know music videos were still important but as you have noted um that you know budgets just didn't exist where it was like hey can you do this for like three dollars and directors are like uh i i, I can right. tr- i can try but i don't know how this will work um right but then i i always uh I, I always respected the fact that it was like the um you know the people that i work with such as yourself and you know a few others that stuck out in my head that you were you were down to do it on a shoestring budget but you also put a lot of you know your own artistic effort into it whereas you know sometimes you work with people that you kind of get what you pay for, you know? Um, but you definitely did not have that, uh, experience in my eyes. Um, but the, uh, 
it, it seemed it, to, it, to me, you know, you, obviously you've always been drawn to film and working in the visual medium, but you know, when you were working with th- these bands and doing the music videos, it seems like you really had to care about it. And I know that's kind of a basic statement, but like it, it, it seems to kind of come through. Did, I presume that's kind of the, the approach that you had in all these music videos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I, I think I've done maybe about 15 music videos. Um, so, so it's not like I've done a hundred where it's sort of like, uh, you know, I'm just kind of on a conveyor belt, you know, and uh, so every one I did, you know, I treated in a very precious way and, uh, you know, put, put a lot of, you know, heart and soul into it because, uh, well, I, for, for one, I, you know, I love doing it and I, I really enjoyed it and loved the music and that kind of, you know, convergence in a sense of music and film. So, uh, you know, there's that, uh, but, you know, I think anything I do, you know, that I'm going to put out there for people to see, I, I, I def- definitely want to put my all into. Oh, totally. I mean, it, it makes sense. But I, I mean, I, I guess to a certain extent, too, where, uh, yes, like, you know, you can use these music videos as, as calling cards for your resume and everything like that. And yeah, last thing you want to do is put forth a, you know, inferior product, so to speak. But um, I, I just always notice like with the uh, particular bands that you worked with as well, where there was always this real, um, I guess, artistic slant to them because, you know, you, of course you could do the proverbial, Hey, let's put a band in a warehouse and play, have them play their song. And like, that's it. You know, there's nothing, maybe there's a little narrative, you know, but all the videos that you approached was they're very thematic and had a lot of stuff going on rather than just the traditional, let's watch a band play live. Well, yeah, again, also it's, you know, what videos do I want to see? Uh, and, and I do feel like a lot of the performance videos that you do see, you know, I think you get bored after about 30 seconds of a performance video, unless it's just an amazing song, an amazing performance. So I think you need to give the uh, viewer more than that. And, and, and I think it ties into the film, the Icarus line must die that I, I feel a lot of the time, in addition to really cool imagery, you know, if you do have a video for, uh, you know, three minute song or th- more longer, you, you need to keep the audience's attention. And I think a storyline does that. You know, if you have a beginning and a middle and end, you want to stick around to see what happens at the end. Uh, so that was my thought a lot of the times with these videos. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You want to keep people, you know, hooked for lack of a better term or interested in the, in what is unfolding and, you know, uh, it'll serve two purposes. It'll be entertaining. And then it'll also introduce people to hopefully, you know, a cool song and a cool band. Yeah. And, and also, I guess the time we were doing it too, uh, which was probably around at least 10 years ago, uh, maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, videos are somewhat disposable for people, you know, you can just click on and, and, and see something and, and then continue clicking, you know? So you want them to stick around for a while. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean that, and I think that was where that sort of transitionary phase existed where, you know, MTV had less of the stranglehold where, you know, not only were they playing fewer and fewer music videos, but you know, the sort the sort of edgier independent stuff just didn't have a place until, you know, streaming started to be a, you know, incredibly important component, not only of the consumption of music, but the consumption of music videos. But it was that fallow era of like, you know, 2000, whatever, four to 2008 or nine before. And it's not like the budgets crept back up, but people were just like, who's even watching music videos? Are these relevant anymore? You know? 
Right. And it's funny, I do still get that today. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still interested in doing working with bands on music videos. But and then I, sometimes I get from the label like, well, you know, nobody's really watching who I don't watch videos anymore. That's what I get some some comments from, say, label heads. But then you go on YouTube and you see, you know, some of these videos get a ridiculous amount of you know, uh, you know, you know, people watching it. So I think there's, there's still, there's still an audience there, maybe more than ever. I I really agree. I I think the, it's almost, um, just as important to do a visual component as when you're picking out, you know, the first song you're going to release on the internet to people, you know, it's like, those are hand in hand. They need to be, you know, in sync with one another in order for people that are, you know, like you said, just kind of clicking around, um, trying to f- find new stuff to be exposed to. You got to have some interesting visual presence. Cause yeah, otherwise you're just, you know, you're completely missing an entire platform, you know? Right. Right. I mean, you know, that's where people, you, know, you immediately go to YouTube when you hear of a band, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, kind of putting the spotlight on, on you as a person, um, you were not born and raised in LA, correct? No, I'm, I'm from, uh, I'm from Queens, New York. So I, I'm born in Queens, New York and, and lived there, you know, till I was 17. Then I came out to LA. I went to film school at USC and that's kept me here. Um, and I've stayed here ever since. So, uh, yeah, I'm originally a New Yorker. Sure. Sure. Right. You, you, you have the, uh, a little of your accent creeps out occasionally, just like just occasionally. <laughs> Right. <laughs> when I start start drinking, it really comes out. So. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Any moment now, we'll start here. <laughs> That's perfect. I, I, I should I should note that we're doing this before noon. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the uh, you, you, you know your your trajectory in regards to the fact that you have always been interested in you know independent minded music and stuff like that, and especially obviously with your you know the the film you're putting out. Um, you know, where did kind of independent music start to infiltrate your, your life? I mean, you know, clearly being raised in New York city had a a large cultural impact, but you know, when did that stuff start to creep into your life? Well, I guess for me, like, uh, yeah, as a kid, I mean, a very little kid, the first band that made an impression on me in a big way, or I want to say maybe the first show I ever saw was Kiss. And because in a way that also, I, I was, you know, always into film. And I was always into horror films. And then Kiss came along and you had, you know, horror films and, and music together, which was like, you know, the best thing in the world for me as an 11 year old kid. Uh, but uh, I guess when I, you know, I've always been into interesting music, stuff that's off the beaten path and, you know, not necessarily the, you know, the popular stuff. And, uh, you know, as far as punk or, or indie music. I was, I always love guitar music and whether well, it's, you know, Ramones or the clash or more obscure stuff. And, but when I, I remember coming out to LA, the thing, the three bands, I just remember these three bands that really had an impact on me. And this is when things kind of changed was who's could do, uh, replacements and the Minutemen, mm-hmm. And, and those, those, I remember those records, um, came out around that time that that kind of changed everything for me in a sense music wise and uh i mean i have a wide taste in music but uh yeah yeah I, the cool thing is it's like you know over and o- then over the years as my so sort of as things 
turns that I've took in terms of my career or things that I do. Um, now I'm, you know, I, I put on shows with Mike Watt of the Minutemen and, and we shoot, you know, we've shot interviews with him. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a nice thing that kind of comes full circle in a way. Totally. Because then these people that you looked, uh, you either looked up to or just respected their artistic output. Now you can be kind of, you know, peers in the same level where you're just like, even though you yourself will never, you know, kind of put yourself in the same league as these people because you looked up to the, their music so much or whatever, but you're like, Oh yeah. Like we're kind of doing, you know, like different things, but they're all kind of related in this weird, you know, punk rock world. And yeah, that, that's cool when you can kind of have that level playing field in a way. Well, totally. It's like, well, you know, it's, I mean, I'm sure you, you, you have the same exact experience, but it's like, for instance, cursive, the band cursive, um, I was listening to them when they were putting out their, you know, earliest records as a fan. And then when I started doing music videos, I, I think I reached out to them or I, I think that's how it worked out. But I, you know, ended up doing two music videos with them. And, and now, I mean, I just saw Tim from, uh, cursive the other day, we were just chatting about, he also is directing films. So we had a kind of common bond there, but it's always nice when you, you know, you're fans of a band. And the next thing you know, you're working with them and hanging out with them, having a beer with them, you know? Yeah, no, that's really cool. Especially too, where you always see, um, you know, the intersection of people that get interested in subcultures, whether like you mentioned, you know, you being into horror movies when you were younger and then, you know, it kind of almost predisposes you from getting into, you know, weird subcultures in, other facets of art, you know, whether it's like music or, you know, like, you know, actual art as far as, well, I say actual, like, you know, paintings and stuff like that. Cause it's all art, but you, and then you see people, um, like you mentioned Tim where, you know, he clearly was very successful as far as a musician is concerned, but then, you know, his interest and passion start to develop where he's like, yeah, I want to do film and more of that stuff. And you know how they all kind of co-mingle. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, but, but I guess we all have that, that, that side to us. I, I guess what you were saying is that that sort of subculture of say horror films and, and getting deeply into that. And then the kind of the subculture of getting into say SST bands. Um, it's, you know, you just have this, uh, predilection for getting into things that just aren't, you know, may, maybe right in front of you, maybe not in the mainstream. And it extends to different, uh, you know, art types, types of art. Yeah, for sure. And I think the, the, I guess the common trait that I see amongst, um, you know, getting into that sort of stuff too, is just the, um, obsessive nature of it because, you know, most, uh, whatever, you know, stereotypical sort of mainstream art, whether it's, you know, movies, you know, music, all that sort of stuff you know, it's meant to be a very sort of uh, transactional relationship where it's like, okay, I see the thing and then I, I leave the theater and then like, that's all, you know, I don't really contemplate it much beyond the actual experience. But, you know, these subcultures that we've been involved in, when you dive in, you go like, you know, neck deep into it. You're, you're obsessed with it. You're trying to figure out all of the like, okay, Mike Watt has done all of these records and then he's also played with these other bands and like you get obsessive. And I think it, you know, in the same way that you could be obsessive about like, oh my gosh, I need to see every Dario Argento movie made, you know? And then you start to collect this weird pastiche of obsessions and it, it's, it is interesting how it fleshes itself out like that. Yeah. And the thing is, it never ends. <laughs> you know, you keep... That's kept, true. I'm, I'm still doing it, you know, still, still up until two in the morning, uh, you know, watching, you know, 
the Monty Hillman uh, uh, canon of films. Uh, so he did a movie called uh, Tulane Blacktop, and I've been just kind of obsessing over these westerns he did in, in the middle 60s. But anyhow, yeah. I this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We're sitting here. It's like June, and you're like, where has the time gone? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. I got to like accomplish all these other things. Take a moment. Focus on the things that obviously, for one, matter to you, but for two, look back. Be like, what have I done well? What have I done not so well? And maybe I can, you know, ask some friends and family for some help. But where I have always gone to in regards to figuring out what I can do better, therapy. Therapy is an incredible tool at your arsenal that you can dip into. I've done it for my marriage. I've done it for myself personally. And I'm a huge advocate for what therapy can do for you because it is a third party that's able to look at what you can do to improve your life and be a person to help you along in your journey. And so I think if you were thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and entirely suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then boom, you're done. It's great. And then if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch it at no additional cost. So take a moment, reflect on the things you've done, reflect on the things you want to do, and visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ray. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. No, no, but still, but like, I, I do think that, you, I mean, you hit on a really key component that I think a lot of people run into, um, you know, as they get older and as obligations start to seep into their lives from, you know, either a professional or, you know, they have families and like your time becomes more, um, uh, of a commodity because, you know, you, there's less of it to go around. A lot of people, you know, kind of, uh, they, they turn away from the, the, uh, whether it's obsessive nature or, um, they just don't find the time to be able to, you know, 
do these things. And I think that's when, or, or be excited about, you know, uncovering new bands or directors or whatever. It just kind of runs into a wall and then, you know, people kind of like leave it to the side, which, you know, that's fine if that's what you're into, but I think you got to keep trying, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I haven't found that. I, mean, I haven't found that, that where I, you know, I'm, I, it's just part of my nature. I think that I'm interested in finding out new stuff and find and, and, and delving deep into that. I mean, I still have, I like, you know, a sense of history and, and still uncovering a lot of music that I really didn't listen to. But, you know, now I think you have a, it's, you have a little easier road. Like if you go on Spotify and you can pop up, you know, you know, suicide or something like that. And that maybe something that kind of wasn't on your radar 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you know, it's a little easier, which is pretty cool. Totally. I mean, there's definitely no, um, I mean, there's late, the, the feeling of being late to the party, you know, still exists, but you know, you, like you said, you can, uh, of course you can't transport back in time and see, you know, suicide perform in New York city, but you can contextually dive into an artist and understand where they're coming from and still have it impact you in a major way, even though, you know, they haven't existed for 30 plus years and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, I'm so glad I found this now. Right. I, and I, and also, you, you know, for better or worse, you still have a lot of these bands getting back together, doing reunion tours, maybe more now than ever, but maybe they were always doing these kind of oldies tours, you know, like if you didn't see the Pixies back in the day, you're going to be able to see them pretty much every year for the next who knows how long. <laughs> totally, totally. And especially too, like you always have those conversations of the, uh, you know, the Holy Grail bands where it's just like, oh yeah, of course you're never going to be able to say this band. And then it's like, you know, almost every single corner, like as long as the, you know, seminal or founding band members are alive, you're probably going to be able to see them. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Uh, we, you know, I, when I was younger, like in junior high school, I used to be into, uh, the band. Yes. And then, uh, slowly i started getting back into them and we went to go see them the other a couple of months ago but it wasn't <laughs> but now there's two yeses right there's yes with john anderson and then there's yesival i think that's what it is or the, at least that's what i went to go see i went to something <laughs> called yesival <laughs> that's a i i had no idea that that split off into two things that's amazing yeah 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 so as you know steve howe is on one in one band and John Anderson is another. And the Steve Howe band has a guy that's like a sound, a, a Steve Howe, a, a John Anderson sound alike. It's pretty good. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, so, but, but you got Steve Howe who's pretty, you know, ridiculously great. Right. So that was, it was pretty solid, pretty solid. You know, obviously you want to see the whole band together, but. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't win them all. You can see, you yeah. know, as long as you're seeing a version of it, that's like, okay, yeah, there's some members and they're, they're sounding awesome. Then I'm into it. Right. Yeah. It's not quite Beatlemania, but it's kind of almost close. Like the, the bass player was – it wasn't Chris Squire because he's dead, but they introduced him as the man that Chris Squire handpicked to play bass. So there's some connection, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. There's, they yeah. didn't just throw a wig on a guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. So, some dude, they found a guitar center like, hey, uh, hey, you're a shredder. How about you come play with us? <laughs> but but I did see Emerson, Lake and Palmer, too, on that same show. But the only guy left is is uh, uh, is Palmer. Mm -hmm. So uh, and, and both I think the two other guys are dead. 
So they did have two guys who are like literally guitar center guys on either side of Carl Palmer. Right. Um, I, I guess <laughs> I, I guess there are stranger ways to make your living, you know? <laughs> yeah, it seems to be having a good time. That's, that's good. That's good. Oh, I'm very excited to tell you about the sound of vinyl. It's no surprise that vinyl is a huge part of my life and many other people's because it sounds incredible, looks great, and it's fun to collect. The only problem is, is there's so much out there, but that is where the Sound of Vinyl comes in. Their mission is to help you build the perfect collection. They got a website where you can shop over 20,000 titles and an amazing recommendation service that can learn about your personal taste and offer personalized suggestions of records that you'll love. It works over text message. It's super simple. They'll text you an offer for an album, and if you want to buy it, all you have to do is reply yes. You can even text back to chat with a real live human who can help you find the perfect record. Plus, they got collectible, limited edition colored vinyl that you won't find anywhere else from artists like Weezer, Beach Boys, John Coltrane, Aerosmith, R.E.M., Kiss, and so much more. Plus, there are no subscription fees and no commitments. Give it a try. Go to soundofvinyl.com slash words and sign up for the tech service to get $5 off your first record. Again, that is soundofvinyl.com slash words for 5 bucks off your first record. I cannot tell you how cool this service is. I bought multiple records from there. I got the Smashing Pumpkin Siamese Dream reissue on Double LP. It's beautiful. I got the Killers Hot Fuss record. Basically, this is the perfect service for people who are just starting their collection or people like myself who have over a thousand copies. Well, not a thousand copies, but a thousand pieces of vinyl. And I'm trying to fill some holes. So soundofvinyl.com slash words. I love this service and so will you. Okay, now on with the show. And so kind of, you know, like, uh, I mean, I, I've seen you mention in, uh, you know, other interviews where you knew at a very, very early age that you were, you know, interested in filmmaking um, and clearly, you know, the your love for music that you kind of, you know, just laid out, um, you know, the the principles in, you know, DIY filmmaking where, you know, you're not given a budget by a large studio and the principles of, you know, being in a DIY, like, you know, punk, hardcore rock, whatever you want to call it, band are you know very very similar when, when did you kind of notice those two principles kind of like you know lining up with one another where you're like oh i i see that they're both kind of similar i you know i i mean it's one of these things where it's like it it's you know you you have two choices you either do something with very little or you just don't do it and i'd rather do the do something you know so that's uh that, that, that's one aspect of it. But yeah, I've always loved, I've always loved things that are rough around the edges and, and I've always strived for this kind of authenticity, which you hear in, in punk or indie and stuff that's maybe got, has, has this lo-fi aesthetic to it. Uh, and, and I think you can't get that authenticity. If you throw, you know, $20 million at something, um, you lose that authenticity. So, um, you know, while I think everybody who makes movies wants to, you know, wants the budget, wants the the uh, kind of the, the it, it's a lot easier to work with with a budget and and be able to use all the tools and the tricks and and the, and the gadgets. But you know, if you're working with very little, you what you do have in your back pocket is the that authenticity, which uh, you know you can't throw money at. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, it, there's no way that you could ever look at, uh, you know, some of the early, you know, uh, punk movies that were, you know, specifically focused, uh, you know, whether it's suburbia or, you know, decline of Western civilization. Um, I mean, decline is obviously a documentary, but the, um, there's no way that you could like throw money at that and make it better, you know, like, no, it would be terrible. No, it would, it would be awful. Yeah. In, yeah. in, in a w- weird way. Um, there was that, uh, Martin Scorsese, uh, um, uh, show on HBO, um, vinyl, vinyl. Yeah. Which was that case, you know, totally. That's a true point, which, which was, I mean, for me, I, it was not my thing and I'm a huge Scorsese fan and I just, I just did not go for it. It just read so false to me. And it, you know, here's a movie that should be right in my wheelhouse and probably your wheelhouse, but, or it's to a show. Yeah. And it was just so fakey, you know, just so fake. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. So there's a case where, where money does not help. Totally. Yeah, exactly. It's like you, um, I mean, a movie that came out, I want to say it was either one or a year ago or two, actually maybe two years ago, uh, green room, whereas a 24 put it out and it was a very, very accurate representation of what it's like to, you know, be in a sort of touring punk band. I mean, it was, you know, done in a sort of horror type, you know, uh, genre. Did you see that film? I did. I did. I enjoyed it. I liked that movie. And it's like to have that actually happen and be successful is like, you know, I I think people like you and I will watch it be like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe this is good because you go into it being like, this is probably going to be terrible. You know, the director is a good, a good director. Uh, He did that movie Blue Rune right before it. So he's, you know, he's solid. Totally. I like that picture. Yeah, yeah, very incompetent hands. And yeah, Jeremy Solonier. And like he and I think the reason he was able to lend so much uh, of uh, credibility to that uh, aspect is the fact that like, you know, he comes from the same background as, you know, you and I did as far as like, you know, whatever the punk hardcore independent music scene. So it's like, yeah, a person that has the context is going to be able to deliver it much better. Like you said, the sort of authenticity behind it. Right. Yeah. And, and you know what? Also a love for it. Um, you know, we, we probably love the music and I, I do love working with bands and, and musicians. It's, it's, uh, I, 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 I do enjoy it a lot. Yeah, that's cool. Because I mean, I'm sure it just fills fills the room with a certain energy that is tough to capture. Uh, you know, if you are looking at it from you know, like I'm just hiring you to do a job. You know, everyone's kind of creatively contributing in ways that you know might not happen in other uh, environments. And and also, um, you know, I'm not a musician, and I I can't I really can't play any instruments. I can't sing. I can't do any of that. But I am really into music and that the process fascinates me and, and just the whole the whole everything around it fascinates me. It's interesting to me. So I get into that sort of nitty gritty and, and that's interesting to me. And I like to kind of show that, show what's going on. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, you're uh, so you, reflecting on your experience at you know USC Film School, which is of course you know a very uh, you know w- w- the um, reputation precedes itself um, as far as you know just the opportunities that it creates. Um, not from a, like a relationship standpoint, but you know learning the technical aspects of like this is what you need to do in order to like capture this on film and all of the uh, technical aspects of it. Um, you know, and then I, I'm not going to hash the debate of like, Oh, is film school worth it? Because it's like, it's such a stupid conversation in my opinion, because it's like, well, for some people it is. And for some people it isn't like, <laughs> there's no, there's no uh, definitive answer. Totally. Um, 
Yeah. But, but, but yeah, but the, um, would you say, I guess kind of the most valuable thing that you got out of it was just the fact that it gave you sort of that foundational aspect of like, this is how I capture, uh, my vision. And now I have a vocabulary in which to describe how to actually capture it. Yeah, for, for sure. I, I mean, I'm, I'm also very much, uh, you know, kind of a purist in a sense where, where I think it's important to know the basics when you're kind of going into a film and, and then, you know, you know the basics of how to how to put together a classic movie and then you can go in and do whatever the hell you want. But as long as you kind of know those basics and kind of the rules that you want to break. So I think it's important to know the basics. And I think that's what that's what that film school, you know, education gave me. Um, and um, and yeah, again, I, I mentioned this, but just the opportunity to make films, I guess you can do that on your own and and. And, and then I post it on YouTube or whatever. But you make films and, and you have your peers to sort of uh, watch it and, and tell you what, what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, and get a sense of you know, what kind of filmmaker you are. Oh, totally. Yeah. Having, having that sort of intense experience of like you know, going to school and being so focused on it and then having people that are a part of that same experience is only going to yield you know, positive results for you to, like you said, have that feedback and have that, um, you know, everybody's kind of on the same ship, even though people have different visions and different ways that they want to take their talents. Um, but just having that visceral experience, you know, I, I can only imagine just the, uh, excitement that it creates too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's cool. I mean, you know, USC itself has its, has its drawbacks just in the sense of what kind of school it is and who, who goes there and, and what kind of reputation it has. And, and, and in a sense, the film school itself was, you know, their mantra was, if you want to make art films, go to art school. Uh, and, uh, so, so you kind of had to work against that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure. Yeah. If you have a, um, you know, differing vision than what most people kind of approach, uh, with, you know, being, you know, looking at being like, Oh, I want to be a, you know, really successful director. And like, you know, people are attaching their, uh, artistic vision to the fact that they want to make a lot of money, you know? And and sometimes it's like, well, that, that, you know, maybe, maybe that shouldn't be the first thought. (laughs) Well, and that's, and that's, you know, you kind of know what you're getting into when you go to USC, you know, that's, that's what they foster. That's what they've always, uh, that, that, that was, that's always been their, their take on things, which, which isn't necessarily my take on things. Sure. Sure. Um, and since you were pursuing, uh, you know, this, this passion and, you know, clearly, you know, taking it, uh, as seriously as you possibly could, um, were there, uh, I guess, reservations from, you know, like your, your parents or other peers where they were just like, dude, Michael, like, you know, you, you have some talent and, you know, you got a good vision or whatever, but like, I'm kind of scared. Like, how are you going to, how are you going to feed yourself? Or was that kind of something? Yeah, my, some, Michael, I've seen your films. What, what, what are you thinking? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dude, you're, you're not in this to win it, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, was, I think it's very typical of anybody that's going into something, uh, like this where, where your parents are like, Hey, have a fallback, you know? Um, right. And, uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I had that, but, but I was, I'm pretty lucky in a sense and my folks were very, very supportive and, and, you know, you know, my family and, and friends are supportive of what I do. So I was, yeah, lucky in that respect. That's cool. Yeah. That they, you know, gave you enough, uh, leash to play with, um, you know, to not uh, just be completely 
you know, uh, going against everything, you know, your, your family being like, no, we're not supporting this. Like, you know, we, we, we want you to do something practical, like, you know, learn a trade, learn how to fix a car or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and my folks are like, you know, they're not artists by any stretch of the imagination. They're, you know, very, <laughs> you know, my, my dad was, you know, came, you know, was a salesman, you know, insurance salesman. And that, and, and my mother was a, you know, housewife and very sort of somewhat middle of the road types. So, uh, it is kind of a scary proposition to have your kid like go out, you know, 3000 miles away into the film business, which, you know, they, they let me do. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, the notion of, you know, everybody traveling to Los Angeles to make it in the biz. It's like, that's such a, you know, an archetype and a, a, a common, um, a common thing that uh, many people encounter across the country and are just like, Oh no, my son or daughter can't go out to the, you know, the, the, the big city. They'll be swallowed up. Right. Well, yeah. I, I would, you know, coming from New York, I don't know if they would necessarily worried about, but you might have to ask them. Yeah, you know? that, that's true. That's well, funny. You mentioned that Michael. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> let's, it's let's, yeah, let's, let's bring them on the call right now. No. <laughs> um, High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumber5Casino.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. And so then a- after you went through, uh, you know, USC and then started to, you know, get into the industry side of things, um, you uh, you were doing a lot of uh, writing and producing 
Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, since the veil has been peeled back a lot more on the industry side of things, you know, the past whatever 10 or 15 years where, um, you know, it's, there's there's coverage of every single move that gets made um, from, you know, a production house doing a movie to, uh, you know, a, a executive head leaving one, you know, entertainment company to going to another one. Um, but, you know, as you were kind of navigating this world, um, is it that you would basically just kind of hop project to project i'm just trying to kind of paint a picture of like you know how an actual person like yourself is able to kind of you know navigate through the world yeah no uh, it's it's definitely it's a project to project um you know uh, you know you, sometimes you have agents who are who are getting you these different gigs um and and then you know you have to i mean for me i was making a living working in television as a producer and as a writer uh and um you know, still, still do. And, but, but knowing that what I was doing at the time wasn't necessarily what I really set out to do. So I started doing these music videos kind of as, as aside from my day job, uh, which is say writing or producing in television and started directing music videos because I thought, you know, at some point I'm like, hold the phone. You know, it's like, I'm, I might be making money in this, this field and, and, and doing, work in this industry that I'm, you know, came out here to work in, but the type of work I'm doing for my day job is, is, is not, is not what I really want to be doing. You know, it's so, uh, so I, I decided to just dive in and start making music videos at the time, choosing the perfect time when the music industry was like literally going off a cliff. So, um, so yeah, what I did was I, I, and I think a lot of people probably do this as well Is you start reaching out to bands or bands that you know of and you say, Hey, um, you know, I'd like to do a music video for you. And they say, okay, cool. And they like, we don't have a budget, but do you, and you're like, Oh, well I put some, put together some money. And then I did a music video. I did a music video for a band called kill me tomorrow who are on a label called gold standard labs. And they're from San Diego. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm in LA, but we, uh, Zach, who's the main guy in that band, talked about our what we wanted to do, and they were putting together a kind of a concept album called "The Garbage Man and the Prostitute," and they were doing a few different music videos. So they kind of took a, a leap of faith. I mean, I think they were a fan of a student film that I did, and I ended up doing a, vi- a video for them that that ended up uh, on their album. They they released it on their album uh, along with a couple other music videos. But that kind of is what got me some notice with other bands and other labels and, you know, afforded me to start doing other videos that I didn't have to pay for. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really cool. I, I, I always like, I, I like that picture that you painted where it's like, you know, you, you were working, um, you know, in the industry that you had uh, set forth to work in, uh, you know, but it wasn't maybe, you know, satisfying the creative itch. It satisfied the, you know, the, the fact that you were making money and making a living, but you know, you were like, well, I want to do, I mean, there is a really interesting through line in all of the bands that you have worked with just because, um, you know, whether or not they were on the same, you know, record label, which obviously they weren't, but like it was always, you always seem to work with those, you know, very, uh, avant-garde left of center, uh, bands like, you know, tripping into the, you know, the Justin Pearson universe of, you know, GSL and 31 G and all those bands, like they were so, um, you know, not only stylistic, but that had a very, very strong stance musically, uh, ethically, and the fact that you were able to kind of go in there and work with bands in that orbit, um, that, you know, that takes a lot of, uh, 
work and effort to, to be, you know, like not only to foster the trust uh, from human to human, but then also like, you know, being able to execute on a, a vision that is, you know, not typical. Yeah, no, it, uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, <clears throat> I don't think I'd ever met Zach from uh, kill me tomorrow when we started talking, but we did have similar tastes in a sense and in, in, in novels and, and film. And we were able to sort of meld those together. And, uh, so yeah, I, and, and I think I've also mentioned this, but I, I really do enjoy collaborating with musicians on music videos. So with Zach in particular, you know, we had, you know, they, it was a concept album and I, they gave me the song, this song called Xerox My Hand. And, and I kind of took the ball and ran with it. But in keeping in mind that I knew what sort of influences he was interested in, which were similar to influences that I had, whether it's like Philip K. Dick and J.G. Ballard. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we had a like-mindedness, even though, uh, you know, we had never met in person. Uh, you know, we obviously we did subsequently. Uh, and then, and then moving through that, I think it's like, okay, people, some people were into Kill Me Tomorrow or they dug that type of a video. So if you like that, there's a certain like-mindedness, you know? Uh, but also it took me out of my comfort zone to a certain degree. Like for instance, Cursive was a band that I listened to and I was into, but there were other, a couple of other bands that I worked with that were, you know, I, I, not necessarily stuff that I would, I was familiar with or that I picked up, but then I was enjoyed working with them and was able to do cool stuff with them. Like, I mean, I did two music videos for a band called the human abstract. Uh, you're familiar with them, right? Did you work with them? No, no. I, I just knew they, they existed in my world, but they, yeah, they were on a different label, but yeah, I mean, totally just like really, you know, out there sort of artistic metal. True. Yes. So I guess, yeah, like maybe the common bot is there's some sort of out there artistic side to their, the music, but, uh, yeah, we did two music videos that were just crazy big concepts and, and really cool stuff. Uh, so yeah, that was a lot of them. Yeah, for sure. No, that makes sense. Um, and that, you know, when, when you are, you know, uh, doing like, from the, you know, pro- the professional side of things, not like the, you know, the music video pursuing your passion stuff, um, you know, as you were working as a, as a producer and a writer, um, you know, what, I guess what sort of stuff were you working on? Were you just working on like, uh, you know, were you working on like soap operas? Were you working on like network TV? Um, yeah, I, I wrote on some sitcoms. Uh, I wrote, I, I, I produced, uh, uh, some reality TV for a while. Uh, so yeah, that, that kind of stuff. Got it. And so it's just, it, it spread across all, uh, I guess, different, <laughs> uh, a variety of different, uh, voices and disciplines where it was like, Oh, okay. Now I'm, now I'm going to be working on, on this thing that I've never done before, but I'll, I can kind of figure it out. Right. And then, and then say with reality, you know, one job leads to another needs to lead to another. And again, they, you know, well-paid stuff and, and, you know, certainly, you know, it, enjoyable in terms of, just doing the work and trying to, you know, trying to make the best out of what you're given and, 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 you know, learning a lot too, and meeting some really good people. For instance, a lot of, you know, the people that I brought onto this film, say as editors were people I've met in television. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, this film is a good, is a good step for them. And then they've, some of them have gone on to, since the film have gone on to, you know, bigger things and better things. For instance, uh, my producer, my partner on this a guy named Josh Crockett, who I, you know, we met 
working on a, you know, a television clip show. And I kind of, I brought him on to it. And now he's, there's this movie tag, I think that's coming out today. And he's the editor on that. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. And he also is, um, yeah, he's a, he's a director himself. He, since my film, he directed a sort of a micro budget film that's going to be released on, uh, I think, you know, VOD or something coming out pretty soon. Yeah, no, that's, it's really cool because I, I think the, you know, another kind of commonality between, you know, basically entertainment industries in general is, you know, fostering that, that collaborative nature of like working with people you trust and then finding those relationships and keeping those relationships, you know, and not like keeping them, you know, from a selfish transactional standpoint, but being like, no, I really respect the work that this person does. And like, I would like to figure out a way to work with them more in the future because, um, you know, no, no man is an island when it comes to executing your artistic vision. And if you are like you're, you're, you know, <laughs> an auteur, as they say, but it, it's cool. It's cool that you can do that because the same thing exists, obviously with bands playing with one another, you know, they just want to play with their friends, bands and people they trust and go out on the road with them and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, again, you, you develop a common bond. I mean, I think, uh, Josh is someone who, uh, you know, we you you work together in in the capacity of saying working on a TV show, and you and you develop a rapport. But it, you know, you see there's there's a talent there, so you start you know hiring them or getting them to work on. I mean, he cut a bunch of music videos that I did as well, and and then you know, I think anybody working in television or whether they're working in reality, I don't think anybody. Well, maybe that's a not necessarily true, but. I would say most people don't want to be doing what they're doing. (laughs) They want bigger and better and they want to work in film and they want to work on like, you know, Breaking Bad or sort of a top quality television show. Uh, So, yeah, everybody's looking for a step up and everybody's looking to do creative stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's very hard to be able to. I guess kind of hit that sweet spot of, of marrying exactly what it is you want to work on. And then, you know, having that thing also be, you know, your, your ultimate paycheck or whatever. It's like, you know, there's, there's different variations of that and you can still, you know, be successful, even though one, one of those things may not be like 100% satisfied. It's like, oh yeah, you can still be happy (laughs) with with that. (laughs) Yeah, no, you know, I think it's everybody's goal is to be, doing something that they absolutely love and they're passionate about and, and to make a living at it. Um, if you're able to do that, then you're, you're way ahead of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so kind of, you know, focusing more okay. on the, uh, well, the, well, I was going to say, we, oh, one, you know, was going to, we interview we did, uh, with Thurston Moore. I mean, he was talking about musicians and he said, you know, if you can make a living, like a living at base level and playing in a band, then, you know, you've, you've won, you know, you've succeeded. Uh, you know, if you can make a, if you can play in a band and not, you know, not have a day job, then, then you've won the game. So, right. (laughs) No, it's a very, very valid point. Um, so kind of turning the focus on, uh, you know, the Icarus line must die. Um, I, I found it like, you know, when, when that came across my, you know, inbox and I was just like, Oh wow. Like I, I hadn't reckoned with that band, uh, in my head for quite some time. Um, and it, it was just one of those things. I was instantly intrigued just because, I mean, I think anybody that existed in the early aughts within independent music, uh, you know, was aware of the band either by reputation alone or the, their connection to buddy head, like, you know, they, they clearly, uh, elicited a reaction, you know? Um, 
and then, you know, watching the film, it was one of those things where I, uh, you know, I was taken by the fact that you were, uh, you know, it's this mix of, you know, narrative fiction and then also a lot of truth that is, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the documentary style of, you know, how you were portraying certain aspects of the film. Um, but, and then also obviously using the actual, it's not like you were hiring an actor to play Joe in the band or anything like that. Um, and I think because of that, you know, it kind of just feels like a, you know, I mean, everyone I'm sure will compare, uh, this, this film to, you know, something it's like, oh yeah, this is very, uh, you know, Jim Jarmusch esque. Um, and it, it felt, uh, and it, it felt real, like you were talking about earlier, the sort of authentic nature of it. Um, you know, as you were kind of building this thing up with Joe in your head and kind of working collaboratively with it. Um, was that basically kind of the the Bible in which you approached uh, every decision towards the film on? The Bible meaning what would Jarmusch do? No, or, uh, no, or, no, or, or just of the just the I guess the authenticness of it. You know, the fact that like we are just trying yeah. to capture this. Well, well, yeah, I mean, you know, certainly that what I was trying to do was make a movie that, I mean, I wanted to make a movie at all costs, but, um, and I've written many feature scripts and I, I know they take a long time. It, it takes me a long time to write a feature, you know, used to maybe can knock out two in a year, but maybe, maybe it takes me six months to write a script or so. And, but I wanted to make a movie now. And, and I thought, well, how do we do that? And, uh, um, I thought, well, perhaps what we can do is we can you know, follow the sort of micro budget uh, uh, kind of model, almost like Curb the Enthusiasm. Uh, sure. The way they, they shoot things is they'll they kind of devise this this very detailed outline, and then they uh, you know and they have great you know great actors and they're they're able to improv it. But I thought, well, why don't we use that model for this sort of like Curb the Enthusiasm, but but not a comedy. Uh, and it's funny, I was. Pearl Charles is in the picture and she's a musician and, and I was describing that to her. And because we're in Hollywood, she's like, Oh, it's funny that you mentioned Curb the Enthusiasm because, uh, my father happens to, uh, had directed many of those. I'm like, really? I had no clue. Yeah. Larry Charles is my dad. And I'm like, Oh my God. You know, I think he directed the Borat movie and he's, he's done a lot of big things. Uh, so it was anyway. Yeah. So that's the idea was, um, how could I do immediately? And I, and I've always loved those movies from the late seventies, uh, early eighties, that no wave era of filmmaking, that uh, very sort of punk rock school of filmmaking that Jim Jarmusch came out of. There's a, there's a director, you know, Amos Poe. There's also, there's a movie called blank generation. That's you know, very much of that kind of CBGBs make movies on the street, uh, cast people, you know, artists, filmmakers, uh, musicians in these roles, they had a real raw vibe to them and a very authentic feel. And I thought, well, you know, if you go into, if I'm going into this film, uh, or, or the idea of making a movie, this was a great world to, to explore in LA, sort of transpose that New York vibe into the LA scene. And both Joe and I, um, you know, we have a lot of contacts in the L.A. music scene. And I thought maybe we can pool those together and make a rock and roll movie because um, I I love that. And I love that sort of vibe. But I don't feel like I've seen a movie like this or a movie that utilized 
punk recently. You know, I love, I mean, I love Repo Man. Repo Man's one of my favorite pictures. And, but, you know, that was a long time ago that movie came out. And they're very few and far between. There's a green room, but green room's more of a thriller, you know? Yeah, that's more, totally. So, yeah. I, I wouldn't, I mean, it has, it comes out of the rock and roll world, but it's not, you're not watching performance and just kind of getting off on seeing, you know, great performance on screen. So that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, no, I, it makes sense. And I, I think that's what, uh, you know, uh, I mean, even though I live in Orange County, I've existed in, you know, Los Angeles for uh, a long time. And it, it, you know, it really felt um, so, you know, it, it felt reflective over where these people and these bands like, you know, you're not, you're not pulling any not like you needed to pull any punches, but it's just like, yes, like, of course you're going to have the echo in there. And of course you're going to have all of these places where it's just like, in my head, I would never think about it in those terms to like actually execute the vision of, you know, getting something on film. But it's just like, oh yeah, of course, if you're going to be doing, you know, a film based around the Icarus line, like, and it's set in, you know, 2018 as opposed to, you know, 2002, like, of course they'd play the echo. And like all of those steps, it just felt like, oh yeah, this was done right you know like which which is what you were trying to accomplish yeah well i i mean we shot a, a big performance of the icarus line uh, at at the echoplex i mean it was an actual real performance that they did there um so it was a natural but i also wanted to have the film is very much also a highland park film but i wanted to give a sense of the that our scene you know which which encompasses highland park and echo park uh, to to a big degree, so it was important to me to have these landmarks, in a sense, in the picture. I mean, Joe and and uh, Charlotte, his wife, you know, are eating at Burrito King, uh, which is on the corner of uh, uh, Alvarado and Sunset, and that just always just strikes me as like, yeah, you go to Burrito King after a show, you know, and that's I, I wanted to have these places that are very much part of this scene and this this world that we're in to give that give that sense to people who maybe aren't from LA and don't know it I wanted to have you know every location was important like that yeah oh for sure because it, it is it's um you know the the whole film is a snapshot of a you know a, a journey um and so having all of those beats you know from moving moving from one scene to another um it like in a way, it's like if you experience it and you live in this world, like you could almost, you know, close your eyes and kind of like, you know, write it instinctually. You know, you could be like, oh, yes, of course. Like you said, you know, after a show, you'd be going to, the, you know, one of two places and most likely it would be, you know, Burrito King. And then, you know, the way that a studio would look, you kind of close your eyes and envision it, um, you know, but then for people that maybe only have kind of a, a topical knowledge of this stuff, they can see a side that doesn't, like you said, you know, previously it doesn't get, you know, represented where it's like, I haven't seen a film like that, that kind of documents not only a band and a person's journey, but then kind of the, how this scene sort of operates and the, you know, the, the proverbial players within it. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I think it's with anything that I do and, and, and it's a fun thing to do is kind of creating a world and creating a world for people maybe who aren't familiar with it and haven't seen this world before. And I think, again, you know, working on a limited budget, we were able to do that, even given that we had a limited budget, we're able to do that. Um, so that's cool. You know, it's, 
it's all these things that you're able to do, even though if you don't have a budget, you're able to show people something they haven't done, seen before, which I mean, you know, that's, that's a goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the, um, you know, the fact that the kind of what I was saying before, where it's like, you know, the movie is, um, factually based in regards to, you know, these are actual experiences that, you know, uh, Joe and the band have had, whether it's, you know, signing to a major label and, you know, the ups and downs of, of what that uh, happens when you're still trying to, you know, do a band when, you know, your quote unquote arguable commercial peak was, you know, 10 years ago, um, and that, but then, you know, it's obviously hung around a, you know, loose narrative in regards to, um, you know, what, what could potentially be happening if this were, you know, set in a, a, a fictionalized ish, uh, fictionalized ish story. Um, why, why did you want to kind of root, have that sort of balance of like rooted in reality? Because I mean, you know, clearly you could have just taken the Icarus line as a band and kind of, you know, done a million weird things with it, um, that weren't based in, uh, in truth. Uh, how come you kind of wanted to, you know, sort of mesh those two worlds together? Well, it was two things. One, I, you know, I had this idea that I wanted to make this a no wave movie in Los Angeles. And I thought Joe was a very compelling figure to focus and center the music, the movie upon. And, then his story at the time we started making the movie was really interesting to me. Um, he's, you know, 36 years old. It was about to be 36 years old. He was, um, he was about to get married. He still had the Icarus line. He was about to release this record. And, and it's an interesting time in someone's life, you know, as a musician, as a musician who's, you know, had some success, had some acclaim and, you know, fa fast forward 15 years later and you're still doing it. And I think that's very much relatable to me, to I think a lot of other musicians and people who just consider themselves, you know, creative people uh, kind of to keep the flame going. And and uh, but but at the same time, you're growing up, you're becoming an adult. You're no longer a kid. You are no longer you know, spray painting, you know, sucking dicks on the uh, Strokes bus, tour bus, you know. Right. And, you know, you're you're now, you know, you have a house, you know, you have to pay a mortgage and it's a scary time. And and how do you how do you uh, uh, deal with that? So that's what I thought was interesting, that that's kind of why I chose this path. And and everything in it is very true to Joe's life, and and the and the scenes are very, I mean, they're they're cold from his experiences. Yeah. Oh no, it's cool, and, and I think that it 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 works on both levels. Like one, if you are familiar with this, the you know journey of the Icarus Line, and then it works on the other side if you're just like, no, I, I have no idea, um, you know what this band is, but like you can see the uh, kernels of truth that be like, oh yeah, I could see why that would feel that way or why that would look that way. And, um, yeah, I just think it's, uh, it's cool. So basically I'm trying to tell you, you did a good job, Michael. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Well, dude, thank you so much for letting me walk you through a, a, a bunch of different things in regards to the, uh, you know, combo of, of, of music and, and film. Cause I think that, uh, some people might not automatically put those two together, but I always have. So I just, I, I appreciate you walking me through that. Absolutely. I, I thank you for giving me the opportunity.
Okay, that was Michael Grodner, the director of the Icarus Line Must Die. And uh, yeah, I feel like a true journalist where I'm like, you know, doing my appropriate plugs for the the films and stuff <laughs> and, and saying the right title as opposed to just being like, oh, whatever, I'm having a person on. But anyways, thank you very much, Michael, for coming on the show. And uh, I hope you enjoy that conversation because uh, I, I think many of you that get attracted to independent subculture also have a large love of movies. And I know myself, I definitely fall into that category. So it was nice to nerd out about music and film as well. So what do I have next week? I have Jason Gleason from Further Seems Forever, and where actually I met him. Uh, he played in a band called Action Reaction, and he also played in a ton of other bands. I uh, I did a little Facebook lurking on him, and I messaged him, and I was like, Jason, I, I know you don't do much of these because press is kind of weird for you. Would you be interested in this? And he was stoked to do it. So next week's conversation is, um, I, I know it sounds like I say it every week, where it's, oh, it's incredible, it's awesome. But uh, this one is is really a treat. So you better make sure that you are subscribed. And if you're not, then you're dumb, okay? Well, not no, that's mean. You're not dumb. But you should listen to next week's episode. So that's what I got for you. And uh, yeah, hopefully you're having a great summer. Until next week, be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at High the Number Five Casino. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings.